information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, often signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech, when the situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people cock a basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people, law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms. Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn Not for a check but to express how to win in these streets This show is for you This show is for me It's for the people The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. Pay attention to that, y'all. There's going to be a test later. What's up? What's up? What's up? This is Deb Rainey. It must be Tuesday night, 8 p.m. For the people, law in plain language. It's me, your girl, your host, Deb Rainey, the compassionate lawyer. Joining me in the studio, as usual, for the people fam, Black, sup, Black, the broke poet. What's going on? What's up, y'all? Simply the producer. Okay, she can't read and talk at the same time. So <laughs> Y'all know what she produce. does when she gives oh me cards to God. read. What What was what that that I read back? at the beginning of the show, Black? What was that I read when I first came ask on? Ask me, ask me, ask no, me. No, it's not fair. You, you don't even introduce me, though. You I said, said simply the producer, the producer, and then producer. you stopped and read the paper and... It's Renee, y'all. She told me right. I had to shorten it from simply the PhD candidate producer back to simply the producer, and <laughs> I did that. That's not why she stopped. She stopped because I showed her a note, and she can't read and talk. <laughs> oh, man. So without Renee answering it, Black, what was it I just read? You read something that sounded like it could have, might have been <coughs> from the Constitution or something. Very good. Can you like be that. a little bit more specific? You're not allowed to cheat and write words. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I know exactly where it was from. That, because that she can read four amendment. amendment. For sure. That was the preamble to the Fourth Amendment. And why did I read that? Because tonight's show is simply entitled Fourth Amendment and Your Rights. Before I proceed to that, like I do on every show, we talk a little bit about last week. Last week, those of y'all that tuned in, we apologized. There were some technical difficulties with the um, streaming computer so the show couldn't go on last week and it was a really long week for the producer who's doing her finance class and for me so we didn't have anything to shoot your way and we apologize 
But as you know, the week before that, we had a show. Black, what was our show the week before that? You know what, man? It was, we uh, did. Moving on up. Nobody yeah. remembers We, we was going like Georgia Weezy out here. We had Yvette Camimora, and we had Brother John Dye Harrell. For sure. And really quickly, y'all, for those of you that are listening, this coming April 28th, there is a Fox Street hiring information session. The hiring is going to be open for a ShopRite coming soon on May 13th, but it's open on April 28th. The hiring center is from 9 to 4. You can get online applications and you go to, unfortunately, y'all, there's no web, there's no website here, but I will um, get this information to y'all as soon as we can. It's actually on Facebook and Twitter. If you check Twitter. our Facebook and Twitter well, pages, it'll be on there. It's the same document, so I'm not sure. We like to bring that information to y'all as oh, we get Oh, it says, apply online at ShopRite.com. See those words right there? Apply I don't have my glasses, online. smartass. Okay, now she, she got funny jokes and whatnot. <laughs> So last week we had the week before last when we were actually on we had two um, returning citizens in our midst and they told us a little bit about how they moved on up and got their piece of the pie. We had a rather rambunctious discussion with Mira, one of our um, sometimes pop in guests, and Black and myself and the producer. And it was a, a little bit of a time when the producer and I were about to go to verbal blows, but it, we, we kind of <laughs> rolled that back in. And took care of it. If you missed that show, you can catch that show on all of our past podcasts on www.forthepeople.podomatic.com. Or you can go to the website, com. She's paying attention tonight, y'all, so she's going to be adding and buttoning in all the time. Go ahead, producer. <laughs> well, no, actually, I wasn't paying attention to that, which is why I kind of put it in. Um, since we were here two weeks ago, John died. I was looking for a text message on my phone that I've since deleted. Um, but since then, he got the Something of the Year award from... Okay, baby, you can't make the announcement Goodwill. if you don't know the award. <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't really do much. But it's still, Brother John Dye, if you're listening, give us a call so we can give you the proper props. But he, he's got an award that recognizes his tireless work with um, returning citizens and his own tireless work to better himself. As he told us, he's in a master's degree program at Temple University. And we know that Yvette is in a master's and bachelor's program. And we um, I don't know if I told y'all, but our, our broke poet is moving on up as well because she sold two of her pieces and she got her first. Her act, She actually got the check today, so she's all cheesy and it. happy. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, in addition, I want to say a shout out, and I don't even know if this gentleman is listening, but I, read a, I met a rather dynamic returning citizen myself today. He's a holder of two PhDs. Okay. And he's returning to us from a unfair, unwanted, unwarranted state prison sentence. To Dr. Will, if you're listening, what's up, dude? If you don't know, you're listening to www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the worst sound from Germantown. We try to take time during our show, y'all, to give you information about jobs out there and understand show. that everything we do is for the people, by the people, and about the people. And we do have those shows like tonight where we're talking about the law in plain language. We were doing some meetings, some email meetings with one another, and we asked Sister Black to give us some ideas about show topics. And she wrote a wonderful um, suggestion as it relates to what can you do, individual citizens do, when the police come up to you, when they harass you, and they bother you. And I thought, wow. I, I touched a little bit on it when we did our first inaugural show, The First Amendment. 
And the name of that show was, ladies and gentlemen, The First Amendment. And we actually rebroadcasted it on Christmas because we were at home and I was watching my 3D 55-inch TV plasma. But we didn't really go into it. And, and specifically, Black suggested that we talk about probable cause. So for those of you listening, this is going to be on the vein, on the sort of line with criminal stuff. So if you have no interest in criminal stuff, listen anyway, because you're going to need to know this. Michelle. What I read was the preamble or the basic guts of the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment says police officers, no law enforcement can bother us, our persons, our homes or anything else that we own and we hold dear to us without probable cause. And even with the probable cause, you're not getting a warrant to arrest or search without what? Affirmation and oath and specifically telling us what the hell you're looking for. Why is that important? Well, oftentimes people will say to me when they hire me, for example, Miss Deb, they came up in my house, searched my house, and then later on they gave me this green thing. And you look at the green thing, it's a search warrant. They did, they did it backwards because they're supposed to actually apply for the search warrant first, get it, and then search. But because we know that not all police officers are honest, shall we say, and do things the way that they're, <laughs> they're supposed to be word. done... What they tend to do in Philadelphia, and I'm sure it's it's rampant in most of the major cities out there, they'll bust up in the house, search the house, and then while they're searching, they'll have brethren, brother officers down at the courthouse or magistrate or whatever applying for the search warrant, and then they're going to be able to say later at some point, here, as a result of our search warrant, here's what we found. Okay, she's reading again. Whenever you hear the deathly silence... This is what um, Sister Black suggested. Probable cause. It's said that officers have to have probable cause before they can do anything to you. What is probable cause? Is it used the correct way in the system? What are some ways to avoid getting officers giving officers reasons for probable cause? Can probable cause be argued? There's a number of really good points in there, and we're going to talk about each one of them. But I want you all to know, anybody who has any experience in a criminal courtroom, and I ain't talking about Law and & Order and CSI and all them TV shows. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, on those shows, there's a script. All the actors follow the script, and guess what? At the end of that hour or whatever allotted time frame, they're going home. They're not sitting up in a county jail somewhere or even a state prison waiting for their time in court. But so how much what, of that stuff is is, is true? And, 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 I, and I know that you watch Law When you and say order. true, what do you mean? Not, how not much true. of it is based off real life? How much life? of it reads true? How, how much of it reads valid? When you're watching There's it. There's enough buzzwords thrown out there in those shows. I enjoy the hell out of them because they're dramatic. I love the fun. I love... Um, the DA, Jack McCoy, when he was the assistant DA, now he's the big boss. Then the new Law & Order has Mike somebody. He's a dick. I don't like him. My favorite show, though, is Law & Order Special Victims Unit for the two, the two officers, I think, are pretty compassionate for what they do. The bottom line is this. In real life, lawyers can't argue points on their client's behalf in open court without their client being present. How many times on Law & Order do you see lawyers arguing motions in judges' chambers and all that nonsense? If a lawyer goes for that, shame on you, especially if you're a defense attorney. Mm. Can you argue something on behalf of your client without your client being present? Sure. You can waive your client's presence. And in, in, in instances where I waive my client's presence, let's say my client's in jail, bail's crazy high. I got the judge to grant me a hearing on the bail, but the, the sheriff forgot to bring my client down. He's going to be looking at another 30 to 45 days before I can get another hearing in front of the judge. 
I have a good reason to believe the judge is going to grant my bail reduction request. So I'll say to the judge, Your Honor, on the record, I waive my client's presence just for the purpose of this bail motion. But any other motion, I'm not waiving my client's presence. And I did once before, but that client was mentally challenged and touched. And when he sat in court, the court had to tape his mouth. And so I suggested to get through the process... That we remove him altogether, and I will relay to him via letter what happened. Michael, this guy was a pretty challenge. He thinks he's a Moor, which are descendants of Hannibal, who believe that the Uniform Commercial Code applies to everything, including criminal court, and that they are, what do they say? They are entities unto themselves, governments. Mm. Therefore, the federal government doesn't apply because the Uniform Commercial Code does, or something along those lines. So they're pretty scary folk, and they're, they're very, very challenging. But having said all that, let's go back to this notion of probable cause. You asked this question, Black. Tell the listeners what you believe probable cause is. Don't worry about scientific and all that, not legal uh, definitions. What do you think it is? I really don't even have the scientific definition. Um, to me, probable cause is uh, something that the police use to justify their reason for Harassing you. <laughs> Very good, baby. <laughs> That's that real down to earth. And y'all know when we talk on this show, we bring yeah, it real. Man. We keep it 100. The bottom line is this. The law says that probable cause is nothing more than a set of facts or circumstances. Now, check this out. This is hilarious. That leads a reasonable officer to believe that something's going on. Either a crime has been committed or there's something in your car or in your person that might lead to evidence of a crime. So what's the definition of reasonable? I'm getting ready to get there. <laughs> Probable cause in the way we're using it now and the way folks are used to it being used is what's required whenever a police officer before a police officer can place someone under arrest or search them. There are instances where there's no search warrant required in order to search my body. Let's say they, the cops see me walking down the street. I, it's summertime. I have on a pair of Docker shorts with the cargo pants pocket. But I have a big old bulge in my right hand. I'm drinking a soda out of my right hand. I'm smoking a cigarette out of my right hand. Clearly, I'm right-handed, right? That bulge on the side of my pants to a rookie officer who's scared to death, just got fresh out of the academy. He looks at that, and he freaks out, comes up on me, throws me up against the wall, pats me down, and lo and behold, I got a third... A, a, Smith & Wesson 40 cal double action in my pocket. That officer is going to say when he goes to court, and my lawyer hopefully files the motion to suppress, that he believed that that bulge in my pocket was a weapon. And he's going to say, Your Honor, I've been a police officer for 10 minutes because I just left the academy, and I was able to see what I believe was the outline of a weapon in her pocket. Is that probable cause? In most instances, a judge is going to say, yeah, I believe the officer. I have no reason to doubt that officer. The reasonableness comes in because the judge under the law is supposed to think about it. What would an officer do who's in that same officer's position with the same experience and training? Well, an officer like this dude who's 10 minutes out of the academy hopefully is working with a more senior partner who's going to say, hold on, let's stop and talk to her and see what's going on, get a closer look, and perhaps then we can ascertain whether that's a weapon or not. And that's the difference between reasonable suspicion and probable cause. And before I go any further in probable cause, let me talk about reasonable suspicion. And before I go there, let me say this. The law in Pennsylvania and most states recognizes three different encounters between citizens. What does that mean? In a nutshell, there's three different times 
interactions, types of interactions the law recognizes between the police and citizens. The first one is what the law calls a mere encounter. Deb in the same scenario with the cargo pants on and the balls in her pocket, walking down Broad Street, drinking my soda, whatever, not doing nothing wrong. Police officer sees me. He has a little nagging suspicion about that bulge, but he can't tell what it is. Indeed. He has a right to stop me and say, hey, how you doing? At that point, I have a right to say, what's up, officer, and keep on moving. Or I have a right to ignore that officer and keep on moving. That officer then, if he, as he's looking at me, gets a better look at that pocket and still thinks it's a gun, he can say to me, hey, check it out. What are you doing? What's your name? Where are you from? And I can say to him, still, hi, officer, I'm out, and I can keep it moving. Let's say as I keep it moving, I walk past him, and that officer gets a better view of that item in my pocket, and he can truly see the outline of that gun. That, at the very least, in any court's eyes, is going to ratchet our interaction up to what's called reasonable suspicion. I know y'all out there in radio land has heard of something called Terry v. Ohio. Terry v. Ohio is one of the first federal cases where the federal Supreme Court said, if an officer has reason to believe someone's doing something wrong, committing a crime, he can stop that person and talk to him. But before the officer can stop and talk to you, he has to be able to articulate at some point later on down the line, either in court, in a police report, memo or something, why he was messing with you. So he has to say nothing more than, Your Honor, I saw this black female walking down the street. She had a really nice figure, really nice dreads. I saw this bulge in her pocket. I wasn't sure what it was. I stopped to say hello to her. And as I did that, she turned in such a way that I was able to see the outline of what I believe to be a gun. At that point... I asked her if, I, if she had anything on her that was illegal. She told me yes. She pulled the gun out of her pocket and gave it to me. I placed her under arrest. Any astute defense attorney is going to take that officer's memo if he wrote out that in there and challenge him on it. How many people honestly are going to reach in their pocket and give that police officer that gun? You would be surprised how many do. Wow. You would be absolutely, I am absolutely flabbergasted every time I have interviews with my client and I find out that they reached into their pocket and gave that officer the gun. And most of them, especially the ones that have the records, they tell me why they do it. Because they're not trying to get beat up, shot, sent to the hospital. Indeed. And that's a shame that you have to relinquish the rights that you know you have. You've been arrested 12 times. You know reasonable suspicion and probable cause. Probably more than I do. If you're one of those people, but you're weighing it. Is it worth me trying to ignore this dude and keep on going knowing I got that 40 in my pocket? Is it worth me running? He catching up with me, knocking me upside my head and sending me to the hospital for two months. No, it's not worth it. Here you go, officer. It's not even loaded. At that point, what are my options legally? Take a plea and hope for some probation or hope that you have a defense attorney who is aware of the legal trappings related to reasonable suspicion and probable cause. Let's ratchet it up one further. So I told you the mere encounters of the officer just saw me. He's not real sure something's going on, but his little gut's going off. And let's say that this officer in this second scenario has been on the job for about five years now. He's made about mm, 1,500 arrests in the area where he sees me at, and he makes those arrests mainly involving guns, people with guns in their pocket. So he's had stopped me. He sees this outline. But I say to him, you know what? F you. I push off and I take off running. At that point, that officer has more than reasonable suspicion because I'm running for a reason. Now, here's the trick, y'all. And I'll go back to it in a minute. If I start running and I reach into my pocket and I throw down that gun 
First of all, let's hope I'm smart enough that I can run a little bit faster than him and I can get to an area where I can throw that gun and he can't see it. Unfortunately, it don't happen like that. <laughs> I'm one of those everyday normal type of people who engage in criminal activity, shall we say, and I throw the gun right in his vision, his line of vision, and I'm still running. What's he going to do? He going to keep running after me, get on his low radio. Yo, yo, I need backup weapon in the corner. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going northbound on Broad Street, just passing dust and such. Suspect, female, big breast, dreadlocks, cargo shorts. I'm still chasing after. They going to get the gun. They going to slam me down. They going to beat my butt for making them run. And then sure. arrest me for what? Possession of the gun. Why did I raise that? Really quick, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want you all to be bored like it's law school. There's a theory under Pennsylvania law called forced abandonment. If the officers can't prove they had a legal reason for making me run, then I may be able to say they were wrong and the court may throw that gun out. Mm -hmm. Even though the law is on our side, I'm telling you all in real life, most of the judges in this city are sick and tired of guns. They will find a way. They will find a way to justify that officer's action because they're sick and tired of guns. So we were talking about probable cause. I told you there's three levels of encounters between police officers. If you have questions, you want to get your comments read, you want to tell us about a time when you were beat up, give us a call, 215-609-4301, or hit us up on the text line, 215-435-4099. Send us an email, forthepeople at deborahlaw.com. Tweet us, FTP Law. Hit us up on Facebook, For the People, Law in Plain Language. Really quickly, we want to take a little quick break so we can regroup and come back at you. Please check out that job fair with respect to ShopRite that's on our Facebook page and our Twitter page now. we be right back. Welcome back to For the People, Law in Plain Language. On the other side of the break, we were talking about probable cause. Just before we got started, Renee was trying to impart some information to us 
respecting Brother John Di Harrell. Thankfully, he was gracious enough to give us a shout. So we're going to turn we're going to turn to him really quickly and get an idea of um, Brother Harrell. You there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me clearly? I can. We were trying to figure out um, what your award was that you got from Goodwill. Can you tell the folks out there what it was? Yes, it was the Goodwill National Graduate Award for 2013. And is an that a... That is, Go ahead. It's an award that's given annually to a person that personifies the um, principles and the um, the attributes that Goodwill tries to instill in the folks that they help. That's pretty amazing. We just wanted to put you on blast and give you some some love and some props. And for those of you out there, those of you out there listening, this is Brother John Diharrell, the one we told you was on the show a week and a half ago with um, Yvette Kamimura talking about how they got their piece of pie as returning citizens. John Dye, from your family at For the People, congratulations. You go, dude. Go, 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 go. dude. I appreciate that. Well, don't think. It's really a wonderful opportunity. Um, they're going to fly myself and, and uh, three of my family members out to uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, to the National Convention. I'll get a chance to give a speech in front of 500 national delegates, and they're going to uh, come to Philly to film a short documentary on my life. That's, um, a, that's awesome. That's convention, and also um, for use in their um, promotional activity. So it's, it's really a great honor. And it's a wonderful thing they're doing. And there's some cash attached to that, too, ain't there, Brother Man? Yeah, about a grand I could definitely use. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You go. That is that absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And yeah. for those of you that recall Brother Harrell was on the show, his website, his um, nonprofit is the Center for Returning Citizens. John Dye's main reason for being, in addition to getting awards and money, is to reach out a hand and help those returning citizens who are going through what he's gone through and trying to find their way to the other side. Brother Howell, keep up the good work. We're we rooting for you, dude. Um, John Day, tell people your number that if they want to get in touch with you. Well, the website is www.tcrcphilly.org. tcrcphilly.org, okay. Yes, and uh, our office phone number is 215 215- Three zero five eight seven nine three two one five three zero five eight seven nine three. Right. Yes. If you know brothers and sisters in the community who have um, come home from prison, who are formerly incarcerated, who are working hard to turn their lives around, and they just need a helping hand, they need a job, they need a chance. Give them our information. Have them give us a call. We are definitely in the business of helping folks to with your life's journey and moving things forward in a positive manner. So, John, I understand that once all this is done, there's a big media blitz, a big media thing that's going to happen. I just want to make sure that for the people, we say white right now that we won our interview. Yes. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> folks have been an integral part of everything I'm doing. And if there's a media blitz, you're going to be blitzing with us. <laughs> Well, congratulations. We just had to get that out there um, into the universe. And, of course, I didn't have the text message anymore, so I was messing it all up. And, and if you really want to hear about Brother John Dice's um, journey, remember what I said on that show, if you didn't hear it. It's called Moving On Up, Getting Our Piece of Pie. The first show we met Brother John Dion was called Through the Looking Glass, One Man's Journey. He and Brother Rashid Salahumadeen 
told us yeah. their stories, and it was an amazing story. Brother John, I thank you so much for sharing. Listen, I'll take a steak dinner part of that $1,000. Just plain. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> it's really me. impressive. We're going to get to say we knew you win. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot for giving us a call, babe. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, I'm not expensive. I'll be good with a steak. I'm straight. God bless you, Brother John. <laughs> Thanks a lot, dude. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we do on For the People. We like to put our people out there, give them that necessary recognition, and let folk know that they're working hard. And those of you out there that really care and have some compassion for our returning citizens we'd be lo- we would love to hear your um thoughts and ideas and how you think you can offer some help to our returning citizens because i think that's one of our i don't think i know it is one of the lost um flocks of our citizen citizenry back to probable cause on the so. other side of the break and in the beginning of the show i told you that the people shall be secure in their persons houses papers and effects against all unreasonable searches and seizures. The law recognizes a seizure at the moment that people and officers interact with each other. Seizure is just some legal term that they decided to sort of lock lawyers, especially defense lawyers, in to determine whether or not the Fourth Amendment even applies if there is no seizure. What do I mean by that? That scenario I told you on the other side of the break. Deb's walking down the street. she got some cargo shorts on. A bulge in her pocket, but you can't really tell what the bulge is. The officer sees me and says, hey, young lady, how you doing? At that point, there's no seizure because he's not tried to exercise authority over me. So at that point, I can keep walking and ignore him because he's sure. not said stop police or yo, come here, let me talk to you. Or in any way made some nonverbal motions or movements to cut off my freedom of movement. Well, you know, and, and that's my question because I've heard you say before that. If you're not doing anything and unless they're arresting you, they come down the street and they say, come here, I can say, go to hell, leave me alone, I know my rights. When I said those three types of... of (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to get there. Those three types of encounters with the police start with the mere encounter. But trust and believe that the, the judges who are more inclined towards law and order in their mind, and I'm just trying to be nice, that are Commonwealth oriented, will try to make every interaction between police a mere encounter. In the law, really quickly, y'all, if I argue and I strike that, if I believe the police did something wrong when they interacted with my client, I file what's called a motion to suppress. I'm essentially saying, yo, judge, check this out. The police officer violated the Fourth Amendment. Throw the evidence out. Without the evidence, the DA has no case. The judges know that's coming. The police are trained in the academy how to defeat a motion to suppress. What's the right way to test a lie? What's the correct information to test a lie about? And most of the time when they go to court. Can you spell that test a lie? T-E-S-T-L-I-E is called (laughs) test a lie. So I'm assuming that's different than testifying. It most certainly is because you're getting up there knowing that what's coming out your mouth is finna be a lie. Test a lie. But (laughs) let let me say this, though. Most of the police officers honestly believe that because their actions resulted in a crime being prohibited, stopped, or shortened, that they need to do what they need to do in order to make sure that they keep us safe. Some of them, I mean, a lot of them really think that it's not a big deal that they get on that stand, swear to tell the truth, and they lie. Because at the end of the day, the ends justify the means. And that drives me crazy. You swear to take, tell the truth, then you tell the truth. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you're so hell-bent on 
and you're gung-ho about what you do, then I could see you getting to that point where one little right lie, you knew that bag of crack that you saw was red, not green. Who cares? You saw the crack being exchanged. But if you knew when you saw the exchange, you had no idea what it is. Why lie about it? Come on. Because we sure. trust y'all to be honest, and all y'all do is test a lie. The officers are trained at the academy about the law as it relates to the Fourth Amendment. And they're told exactly what I'm telling you. And they actually probably have a couple hours of training in it. They have um, retired or old-timer police officers and probably DAs, too, teaching them how to test a lie. Back to the question that (laughs) the scenario that I posed, and that is I'm walking down the street with the cargo pants. No, there's a balls, but you can't really tell what it is. The officer says to me, Hey, you, how you doing? I turn around, look at him. I don't like you. You got a dick. I'm not interested. And I keep on going. He stops and he says, wait a minute. Did she just insult me? And he continues. Hey, you, I said, how are you? Come here. If he engages in any conduct that demonstrates he's making a show of authority to me, that is forcing me to see and recognize his position as a police officer. At that very moment, it becomes a seizure under the law. But but how is that different than him just being a prick? It's not. Okay. And these I, judges I that are Commonwealth oriented will try to make that prick action less of a seizure. And, and in other words, he's being a dick trying to get his little flirt on, and I'm looking back out of my interested dude. And he's upset, so he's going to react as that man with a penis and not that officer with a badge. The, the judge listening to the motion can hear that. So that judge is going to fashion his or her questions in such a way. And I did say questions, y'all. Remember, our judges are supposed to be objective triers of fact. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in a trial involving law enforcement officers, when that judge can see that the defense attorney is exposing all that officer's test lies, that judge can't help his or herself. They're going to jump in there and try to clean up that police officer's story. So, uh, well, we- officer, what you really meant to say was, go ahead. At what point do you lose your your rights? Like you have the right to keep going if a, if the officer says hello, how you doing, and you just well let's qualify let's qualify that all the amendments to the Constitution, particularly the Bill of Rights, the first ten, give you certain guarantees, right? Right. The Fourth Amendment guarantees us to be safe from unreasonable searches and seizures, and that's the key word, y'all. Unreasonable. The law in all 50 states and the federal government tend to describe and define unreasonable different. Well, but I'm, I'm sure that there's some nationalities of people who that's probably defined. Black folk. For also. Mm-hmm. Black folk. Uh, I just Brown gosh. folk. White folks in certain areas of Philadelphia County. And for those of you listening who aren't from Philadelphia, I'm limiting my discussion with respect to what I just said to the confines of Philly. But I am pretty sure it occurs in every single haven, especially urban centers in this nation. Hence the term. Do you remember hearing about the profiling? Do you remember that? Yeah. Profiling initially began. I've also heard someone say that, that that was a myth, that it didn't exist. That was some state police officer who has a high and tight, whose skin probably the same color as the paper I'm writing on. Profiling initially, believe it or not, was a good thing. You know the FBI has profilers, right? They go to a crime scene that's particularly brutal, and they're supposed to be able to tell you some personality traits about the alleged perpetrator or the person who committed that crime Mm -hmm. based on what's present there. So there was a useful term for profiling. 
the law enforcement officers, particularly New Jersey State Police, decided that because I-95, all the way from Maine to Florida, the I-95 drug corridor became really hot and heavy from the late 80s to the early 2000s, and still now, but not as much. So they were being taught how to profile vehicles that may or may not involve either drug dealing, drug muling or possessed drugs or the people inside the car are probably engaged in something they're not supposed to like tented windows boom 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 coming from the car a young man driving a car who happens to look 15 but he's driving a brand new mercedes-benz for example Mm. so they taught that profiling idea but then it went way far afield and they started using it just to profile and stop every black male who they thought looked suspicious and unfortunately, even though the Fourth Amendment says you won't be subjected to and you're not supposed to be subjected to and you're guaranteed to be protected against unreasonable searches and seizures, the individual courts are the ones who determine what is and what isn't unreasonable. Generally speaking, you can't search a car without a search warrant. However, there's exceptions really? to that rule, right? There's an exception called, because vehicles are so easily accessible, you can just jump right back on the highway. Some states recognize if you just pulled the car over and you can articulate that you thought there was uh, evidence in the car that might be destroyed or the person you were afraid was going to get away, you could search that car, but you can only search the areas of the car the driver had immediately, had easily accessed, like the glove box, the dashboard the middle console between the two seats underneath the seat in the driver's area. So, Listen, so how long does that happen, though? I mean, how often does that happen? Well, that, that's all they it look It happens for. now all the time, but the problem is the police officers have been taught in their training how to bastardize that. It's called the wingspan. In the federal system, it's called wingspan. The area that the driver could have accessed is what the police officers can search if they can articulate why they're searching it, right? If you mm-hmm. pull me out of the car because you roll up on me, I rolled out my window and I happen to be a Rasta and I got a big old doobie in my mouth and they can smell marijuana, they have the right to what? Pull me out of the car and place me under arrest for what? Being in possession of illegal substances and driving under the influence. So mm-hmm. so how about those cases? And I mean, I don't watch enough TV, but um, there was a case where all of the drugs or the guns were underneath some special floorboard or doorboard or well, door panel or something. Was that here in Pil- I can guarantee you what truly happened. They profiled the driver, stopped the car, pulled the driver out, searched the car, found the shit, lied, wrote back to their district, we need a search warrant. Okay, while we're waiting for that, bring us a drug dog. In some jurisdictions, guys, if a drug dog goes up on your car and reacts the way he's supposed to and gives a positive reaction, that is sufficient probable cause to allow those officers to search that car. In some jurisdictions, not in Pennsylvania. Okay, so... I'm I'm walking down the street. An officer said something to me. He says, "Good afternoon, ma'am." You can speak back to him. Right, you can ignore going. him and but, keep going. But, but, you uh, can't spit at him because then that's no, a disorderly but, no, but conduct. But my question is: mm-hmm. At what point can he bring a drug dog? And where does the drug dog <laughs> violate my rights by by them calling a drug dog? The drug dog under federal law. Even when they bring that drug dog to sniff you, they still have to come up with the reason why they did that. That's that reasonable suspicion thing. In Pennsylvania, because they don't use drug dogs that often, what they do in Pennsylvania when they do have a drug dog, they use that drug dog. Let's say that drug dog hits on a spot in the car. They hold the car there, ideally, and apply for a search warrant. 
The search warrant process is really simple. They apply through, if you're not in Philly County, a magistrate, which is the equivalent of a person who was elected to make legal decisions in the scariest shit because they're not attorneys. Philadelphia County, we have trial commissioners who are equivalent to the magistrates. We have two levels of judges, municipal court judge and common police court judge. And you have to fill out an application or an affidavit and swear that these are the facts that you believe give rise to permit you under the law to get a search warrant. And one of the biggest things they do that with is when a drug dog gets a, acts positively to an area where the drug dog thinks that there is drugs or there are drugs. The problem with that is, and defense attorneys that don't do their homework drive me crazy because guess what? Just like everything else, drug dogs can respond and get what's called negative positives or positive negatives. Right. In other words... Maybe at some point somebody else was driving the car and they had something on them and it brushed off on the car, but there's nothing there now. The drug dog can still bark and react, but there's nothing there. You're better off when that happens because when they execute the search warrant, there's nothing there. They look like assholes, right? Let me, let me say this to y'all. I'm not trying to scare you about interacting with the police. What I'm trying to do and what I always do on these shows is make sure you understand your rights. So really fast, let's recap. We're going to go to Renee first. The three types of encounters that I just spent 15 minutes telling you about involving, I see, I know she don't know the answer because she does that little <laughs> suck of her mouth and suck her lip in and say, oh shit, she finna call she on me. Her sister listening. is working over here. Black, what is level one of the, 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 the three types of encounters I told you that we have? Just, that would be a mere encounter. You go, girl, yeah. yeah. Hey, I know the first one. It's a I mere was, encounter. I was on point. You feel me? And what is the second level after a mere encounter? And that means Hold the on, officer can say, oh, I think maybe perhaps that person's doing something that's illegal or got something on them that's illegal. I have reasonable suspicion. Sp- very good. And the very... The most severe interaction between police and citizens is what? It begins with what? A P and a C. A P and a C? Yeah, and we've been talking about it all night. Probably because is not it. Probably because? That's not it. Probably because. There you go. (laughs) The reason that's important, I'm not telling you to not talk to the police. And in some instances, and I think Renee or Black raised it, what happens if the police officer sees you just gives you the greeting for the day and you ignore him and walk away. Any astute officer that's been on the job for a minute is going to say some shit like this. Well, you know, I spoke to the individual. They look kind of nervous. In my experience, five years on the police force, people who look nervous normally possess drugs. What? When they (laughs) say stuff like that during cross-examination, ask Renee, she reads my notes sometimes. It's all I can do for but laughing and peeing on myself. Because that don't make any sense. And unfortunately, some of our judges buy that. Then they'll go on further to say, in my five years in the police department, I've made 15,000 arrests in the area of Broad Street and um, Gerard. And the people that I see that are nervous and don't speak to me and walk away when I speak, most of them have drugs on them. But, officer, haven't you arrested one or two who was nervous, didn't speak, and walked away, who didn't have drugs on you yet? Your Honor, there goes the probable cause. So I'm not telling you not to interact with the police. But knowing puts you in the know, and it makes you understand what your rights and your responsibility is. What am I saying? An officer speaks to you, say, what's up? But common sense will say, if you know you got five dime bags in your pocket, Right? 
put your head down and keep it moving. If you know you got a 40 cal in your drawers, put your head down and keep it moving. <laughs> and some of these guys try to put their 40 in the front of their drawers to the make that see. illusion. Do, y'all, please. The silhouette of a barrel of a gun don't look much like the silhouette of a penis. And if it do, you walk around with a perpetual heart on. Stop doing that. This new thing now for not just Philadelphia, I'm sure, officers, when they search you on the street, will pull down your outside pants and your underwear and leave your jewels hanging for the world to see because they've come, they've gotten clued in to the fact that the guys involved in that drug hustle will stick the drugs up in their butt. First of all, that's nasty. And I'm not talking about pulling down your drawers and exposing your jewels. I'm talking about putting the, the drugs, drugs in your butt. You got drugs. to reach up and then pull them out and say, that's nasty. That's nasty, <laughs> y'all. I know you guys are trying to keep off the stash area stuff and not having them go to the stash. Please find a better way. That's just nasty. I'm so sorry. That's nasty. Do the officers have a right to do that? No. The law says the officers may not search your body without a search warrant, except, remember I told you there's always an exception. There's something called the plain feel test. Based on those words, the plain feel test. I want you all to think about this with me for a minute. We're going to observe Ramon Masalans. What do you think the plain feel test is? Renee. Ma'am. <laughs> what do you think the play field test means? What is that? What does that mean? Well, we were talking about drugs and dogs and the police. <laughs> she sucks. <laughs> she sucks. I have other jobs here. <laughs> <laughs> you people don't take that. She's trying to make it all work, though. I know, right? Trying to solve the whole Drugs and dogs like and she's the police. All logical and shit. <laughs> We're talking about drugs and the police, so it must be plain police film. No. What I, what I mean is this. Remember I told you initially that the Fourth Amendment says we're going to be, we are guaranteed protection against unreasonable searches and seizures. Once again, the law defines what is reasonable and what's unreasonable. There are so many exceptions that I don't know, practically speaking, when an unreasonable search or seizure is going to be found anymore. Our judges are carving out so many exceptions, it makes me want to puke and scream and holler. A plain feel is this. If an officer, if an officer is looking at me, and he sees that ball's in my pocket, and he has reason to believe I'm doing something wrong, and he can say to the court, Judge, I'm in a high drug area, a high crime area. I feared for my safety. So I engaged in or conducted a pat down for my safety. He can do that. That's one of those exceptions to the unreasonable searches. What's a pat down? Well, when I was prior to being a lawyer, I used to teach pat downs. You take your hand, you spread your fingers out, and you take your hands and you slowly, as it says, pat down the body of the individual. You can't be groping and squeezing and grabbing. You're opening your hands so you can feel what that person has. And this is where the plain feel comes in. If that officer comes across something and he can immediately, based on touching it, tell what it is, the judge will let them keep that evidence and it's not getting thrown out. Mm. Answer me this. How the hell... Can you or anybody else tell if I have five Xannies in my pocket? And for those of you who don't know it's Xanax, you have to have a script for it. Most of the time you can buy them on the street, $5, $10, $15 a pill. 
If I'm a Xanny user and I, I have five Xannies in my pocket, I just bought them, and I got them loose in my pocket, and I have five of my morning vitamins that I forgot to take in my pocket as well, how in the world can an officer feel that and tell the court, Your Honor, I could tell by the size and the shape it was Xanax. Bullshit! Bullshit! The size of how the head. So, so wait a minute, their hand has to be open the whole time? No, they no, no, can't. no, no, no. I'm saying when I said that, that's the way you're properly taught how to do a pat search. Right. So if your fingers are spread and you're conducting the pat down the way you're supposed to, you ain't feeling shit. And if you are, you're concentrating only on those things that can interfere with your safety. If you feel yeah. a pill in my pocket, how that going to make you unsafe? And Indeed. the astute defense counsel Could misses be that. They miss that. So they hear the officer's test line, right? Judge, I conducted a pat-down search for my safety, and as I patted down the right pocket of Miss Rainey's cargo shorts, I felt what I knew immediately to be Zanny's. <laughs> Defense counsel who aren't very aggressive, who Xanax. don't know the Fourth Amendment law, will, will, oh, my God, I'm done now. Deb, you got to take a plea. He felt the Zanny. Well, how the hell he didn't know it was a vitamin or a Tic Tac? Officer, your next question is defense counsel. Officer, can you please tell me what it feels like, the difference between a Xanax and, let's say, an Advil caplet, right? Xannies come in caps. They come in solid pills, the old-fashioned ones. Advil come in caplets and capsules. Officer, is it your testimony, sir, that you felt this pill in my client's pocket and you could distinguish it from a Zanny or a Advil capsule? Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, were the pants pocket clear and, or were they opaque? And most of them, God bless them, don't know what opaque mean. And they say, <laughs> yes, and I got it. <laughs> Was the pants pocket clear or opaque? Let's say we have an officer who has some education. No counsel. It wasn't op- opaque, but I could feel what it was. Well, officer, can you describe for this court, sir, please, in your training and experience, how a Zanny pill feels different than an Advil caplet? And they can't. So the Plainfield doctrine that they've used to uh, carve out exceptions to the warrant rule is bullshit. Most of the time, though, the officers will use the Plainfield for the bags of crack, bags of weed, the guns, the knives, and weapons. More like a plain grope. That's, that's, that's basically what it is. And in Pennsylvania, an officer may not manipulate your pocket and say it's plain fill. Plain fill. What does that mean? As he's doing the pat down the way he's supposed to, patting down my body, he's not allowed to say, ooh, what is that? And squeeze, right? Because once he squeezes, it's no longer plain fill. And a lot of people don't know, especially the lawyers, don't pay attention to. There is no way you're going to recognize something in my pocket soft, for example, like weed. When you're doing the pat down, because most of the officers, the young ones, won't do a pat down. They do what I call, which is a rush down. They'll actually push down on your body instead of patting it down. And when you push down, you got somebody who got some meat. When you get to the meaty portions of their body, you're going to miss stuff because you pushing down and you're manipulating the skin. You ain't going to feel nothing. Mm-hmm. So if they're smart, they do the pat down the way they're supposed to because then you can feel what feels different. My breast is going to feel a hell of a lot different than a knife that's tucked into my bra. Correct? Indeed. But if you're doing that pushing, you ain't going to do nothing. You might cut me, but if I'm smart, I'm not going to say shit because you ain't going to know I got that knife on me. Right? I'm Indeed. sorry. I, I digress a little bit. So <laughs> what the purpose of this show is to... Get rid of these nonsense TV ideas and thoughts of what probable cause is. It don't sure. mean probably cause. Probable cause doesn't have a real legal or scientific definition. But for the judges and for purposes of court, it is 
the officer has to be able to articulate things about the situation he's involved in that leads him to believe that you're either 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 engaged in criminal conduct or you may have on you or something in your control that suggests that you committed a crime. What the ju- judges do, and you'll hear it if you watch, even if you watch TV, you'll hear something called the totality of the circumstances. What does that mean? That means the judge has no idea what the law said, doesn't give a shit, and decides <laughs> to back the cop up to say, well, you know, Miss Randy, considering the totality of the circumstances, I'm going to think fine that the officer had probable cause. Your motion to suppress is denied. Very good, Your Honor, but may I ask the court to tell me what you're finding with respect to the totality of the circumstances? No, Miss Rainey, I've already ruled. Thank you, Judge. That means you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> but there is this notion of totality of circumstances. That means taking everything into account that the officer encountered, is there enough to hear to suggest that you probably were engaged in criminal activity or you probably had something on you that was illegal? The search warrant thing is a separate topic and you need a lot more time, but really fast... Before an officer can get a search warrant, he has to apply for it. They have to either do an affidavit of a probable cause or an application. Philadelphia County, we call it an affidavit of probable cause. All it is is the officer tested lies in writing. And what they're starting to learn is for a long time when I was a PD, we would use those affidavits because when the officers testified at the prelim, they didn't have access to that right away because it was still being prepared, the discovery package for trial. Right. So their testimony at the prelim wasn't always meshing with what they said in their reports. With the testify. Right. So we can lock them into their testifies at the preliminary hearing and boom, smack them with it at the, at the, at the trial. Unfortunately, now you have those guys who've been around for a long time and they've gotten used to testifying. So what they do now, when they, before they come in and testify, particularly if they know who the defense counsel is, they'll get this little piece of paper and they'll write down everything that happened. And get up there and testify and stare at that piece of paper while I testify. Officer, were you on duty on the night of February 2nd, 2013? Yes. Did you encounter anyone you see in court today from that date, time, and location? Yes. Can you identify that person for the court right there? Your Honor, for the record, he's pointing to the defendant with the red hat. Officer, tell the court what happened to, with, between you and that defendant that brings you here to court today. Your Honor, on February, Your Honor, may I refer to my notes? They can sit there and read. 2013, Your Honor, may I refer to my notes? Five o'clock in the morning, I set up surveillance in the area of, and any defense attorney within the sound of my voice, if you don't object to that goddamn note reading and ask to see that shit, shame on you. Because the Constitution says your client has a right to confront witnesses against him or her. The witnesses against him or her includes that piece of paper the cop's reading from. Because you want to know, did that officer write those notes that day? Because if he did, damn it, you cannot challenge his knowledge of what happened Six months ago, if they got to read from the paper. And then what you do, you ask the court to approach and you look at that note and you do like I do when you see that the shit has 15 paragraphs on it. Officer, you wrote this because you don't have no idea what happened that day, do you? No. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am, I do. I just wrote the pertinent information on here. Your Honor, with, with your permission, and for the record, the officer's note starts with the words on the date of and ends with the words I arrested the defendant with about 15,000 words in between, suggesting that he don't remember anything. And by the way, Your Honor, could you ask the cop to preserve that piece of paper so i can have it at trial i'm sorry i had to throw those things out there because that drives me crazy i walk into a courtroom i see an officer testifying he looking down at a piece of paper and your honor with your permission can i refer to my notes sure 
And he ain't referring to his note, y'all. He reading that shit verbatim. Why is that? Story. Because the law says the accused has a right to challenge evidence against them and people. How can my client challenge your memory if you reading from a piece of paper? If you're smart, your lawyer's smart, well, Your Honor, can you ask the officer to testify from what he remembers and only refer to the notes when he needs to? You would be surprised how many of them mess stuff up because they don't remember anything. I digress. Sorry about that. Remember, guys, probable cause, there's no big secret formula. There's no big five or six words to describe it. Probable cause is what the officer convinces the judge that it is. For our purposes, everyday people, I'm going to say this to you. If you run into a police officer, you know you ain't got nothing on you. You ain't doing nothing wrong. Whether or not you speak to the officer is on you. Understand, your actions beyond that may trigger that police officer to go further. And if you're in North Philly, West Philly, anywhere in Philadelphia or other urban centers, certain times of night, I'll say this to you. You better think twice before you ignore that officer altogether because you might just get their dander up and give them a reason to give you a beatdown. Sure. And guess what? Even if you're not doing nothing, you're going to end up with an aggravated assault charge. They're going to say you you were flailing to avoid being handcuffed and you accidentally punched them in the face. I'm saying you got to be careful. And I understand the police officer's point of view, having did what they did sort of in a federal from a federal standpoint. My only problem is it seems to me these new jack police officers are being taught that they're better than us. They're not being taught that they're here to police their fellow citizens. It feels like they're being taught that they're here because we don't know any better. And I don't mean that they're being taught this formally at the academy. I mean, I've walked down the street in Center Hall, for example, leaving the CJC with my suit on, my dress coat. I see a police officer. Hi, how you doing? That police officer looks me up and down like I have 12 heads. I've passed police officers in my neighborhood with my blue jeans, my hoodie, and my Tims on. Hey, officer, how you doing? They look me up and down like I have 12 heads. Officer, can you tell me how to get to? I'm not 411. So I'm wondering, what is it about today's society that our officers have gone away from being a part of us and have elevated themselves to be above us? And that's my problem. And because of that, we all have to be especially aware of this idea of probable cause, these three types of encounters between police officers, and there's going to be a test. I'm going to put it on Facebook, and I'm going to put it on Twitter. And I will put sort of a dumbed-down summary of what we talked about tonight. Sure. I'm going to ask you to share this show with any of your friends, particularly your friends who are self-employed individuals. And David Mitchell, what's up, my cousin? David and I went, lived um, not together because we not married or nothing. David and I lived in used to live in Germany, and his mom was my foster mom's sister. Hey, David, it is hard to de- define probable cause. All you need to know is this: don't give that police officer any reason to ratchet up his or her thoughts or ideas about what you're doing. That's the best way I can say. Black said something on the break that an officer pulled her over and, and started searching their car. And she knows her rights because she's heard me rant and rave a lot. And sure. Black's just a smart girl and she's been around. And she said to the officer, what are you searching my car for? And what did he say to you? I asked him why he was searching my car. He told me because a passenger <laughs> in my car 
lied to him about previously being arrested before. That was his reason and for searching even my if vehicle. the passenger said that, ladies and gentlemen, that car belongs to Black. That Indeed. officer knew damn well he didn't have a search warrant to search that car. All right, at he all. asked you for your identification for I you. I gave identification. And I'm gonna tell y'all what happened, everything. why he did what he did. If you were somebody when you ran you and nothing came back, he wouldn't have done it like that. He would have said, "Ma'am, can I search your car?" You would have said, "Hell no, nah. ma'am, I want to search your car. I'm going to bring the drug dogs and do what you got to do, fool." He ran you because he saw you had some contacts, and he mm-hmm. knew even if you told the truth about what he did, chances are the judge would be on his side, not yours, so he didn't care. So whatever he found, he knew it was groovy. Mm-hmm. You guys have to be that. just as smart and as savvy. And I'm not telling you that these police officers are out here violating our rights willy-nilly because they want to. They genuinely believe that what they are doing is in our best interest. And I want to say to them, if any of you are listening, what's in our best interest is for you to do the right thing based on what the law is. Because guess what? Those people out there who are self-employed hustlers, you're going to get them. Get them the right way. It's going to make you feel better, and it's going to make a lot more of us feel better about you. Y'all agree with that? You don't have a right because you raised your hand, swore to protect and defend the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and its residents, and elevate yourself above the rest of us. You are supposed to support and defend and enforce the laws and follow them. Stop doing that. You guys wonder why when you go into these neighborhoods for homicides and stuff that no one stands up and gives statements because you treat us like shit. I'm not going to turn around and and give you something when the first time I needed your help, you came to my house, cussed me out and disrespected me. No. Ladies and gentlemen, a police officer pulls you over. I'm not telling you to drive away because if you do that, you're damn sure going to give him probable cause to pull you over. (laughs) If you're riding down the street and a cop pulls behind you with his lights and sirens on, that, ladies and gentlemen, is a show of authority. He has seized you. He has to tell you at that point what's going on. Most of the time, most of us, especially those of us who, who don't have a record, who don't have any reason to fear police, or have big mouths like I do, may I know what you pulled me over for? And then you get some little rookie who's been trained by his senior um, road officer to say, you don't ask the questions, I do. What you do when a cop does that to you? How do you react to that? Please don't do what I do. What Please, because I got my bar card to show. So don't do what I do. We're not going to tell you. You can assume and presume what I do. <laughs> If a police officer pulls you over, he comes to your car and says, may I see your license, registration, and insurance? You have a right to say, good evening, officer. May I know why you pulled me over? That righteous officer is going to say, well, you were speeding or something like you know what you were doing. Here you go. Here's my license and registration. You got that one butthole who's out there to put notches on his belt. You don't ask the questions. I ask the questions. You shut up and show me your license, registration, and insurance. Now. I'm going to say this to those of you who don't have anything illegal in your car or on you. You have a number of options. Um, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I don't want to deal with you. I'm going to ask that you step away from my car and you call your headquarters or wherever it is you come from and you send someone else. Because I have rights and you're violating them and I don't want to deal with you. You roll up your window and you sit there. You don't make any sudden moves at your ignition. You don't try to start the car. You don't try to get out. Don't give that officer any reason to go off. Most people aren't going to be bold enough to do that. 
You interact with this officer. You give him or her your license, registration, insurance. At the same time, you make sure he can see your hands. You reach for that cell phone, 911. I'm being pulled over in the area of thus and such. This officer came to my car, scared me, was rude and crude. Officer, tell 911 your name. Watch their whole demeanor change. I'll be scared to get and, shot. And, most, <laughs> and, and I'm saying to you, <laughs> if you present yourself in such a way that that officer is going to think you about something, don't do that. But I don't. I'm being pulled over in my suit. I'm sitting in my car. And I've said to the officer in no uncertain terms, listen, you don't have a right to talk to me like that. I have every right to know why you're pulling me over. So because you want to act like that, I'm going to sit here in my car and refuse to deal with you. You can send me your partner over there. I'll talk to them. You can call your lieutenant or your sergeant. And if you don't, officer, as you're watching me, I'm going to grab my cell phone and do what I have to do. You pull your weapon out or anything else, and you can't back that shit up, you better hope you kill me because I'm coming for your house, your car, and your drawers. That's drawers me. Too. Don't do that. They keep Ladies and gentlemen, do not do that. Respond, react, and CYA, the moment citizens start letting these bad cops know that we know our rights, guess what? They'll stop doing that shit. You hear me? They will stop doing it. They get away with it so much because we give into it. We allow it to happen. They have no right to pull you over and be mean and rude and cruel to them. Let me say this now. You're driving down a road that's 35 miles an hour, and your ass is doing 75. Shut the hell up. Show your license registration. Kiss that officer's For ass sure. and pray he don't give you a ticket that gives you some points on your license. <laughs> I'm saying those instances where you work late, you're tired, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you have to walk, drive through a bad neighborhood to get home. You know you're not doing anything wrong. You're barely driving the speed limit because you're tired. But because you happen to appear a certain way, at a certain time in the morning, driving a certain kind of car, the officers think they have liberties to pull you over and start messing with you. Don't give them a reason to pull you out of your car because the law in Pennsylvania says, given the dangerousness of car stops, officers can ask every single passenger in that car to get out. Don't give them a reason to do that. I just got off work. I'm on my way home. Here's my license, registration, and insurance. Can you tell me why you're pulling me over, please? Shut up. I do all the talking. Damn, you ain't got to shut your mouth and let the officer do what he's supposed to do. But I'm telling you, and I'm, 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 I'm pleading with you, if more of us let these officers know we're not going to accept being treated like criminals, because that's all they're used to dealing with all day, that it gets, there gets, it gets so ingrained in them that they treat all of us like that. And it's not fair. For Dr. Sure. King said for you to judge a person not by his color of his skin, but by the content of his character. Same thing with these officers. Just because you encounter a black male doesn't mean that black male has a gun or is carrying drugs. Just because you encounter a woman with dreadlocks doesn't mean she's a dyke. Well, I'm not sure, but <laughs> let me give a better example. <laughs> Just because you encounter someone wearing blue jeans, white T-shirt, and Tim's, does not mean that person's engaged in criminality. Because I know a lot of people, myself included, when I'm not wearing Eagles gear and I'm not wearing a suit, and Renee didn't make me dress up, I'm wearing blue jeans, T-shirts, and a Tim. But you have to be prepared and be aware of what's going on around you and know what your base, basic rights are. Those of you that heard me say what I would do when a cop pulled me over, please don't do that. Don't try that. And remember what the disclaimers say, I ain't your lawyer. So if you go telling the police officer, Deborah, the compassionate lawyer said, <laughs> you full of shit and you hit.
Because <laughs> then you go out right. to pay a retainer to get that brand to come talk to you. I'm being serious. The more you know, the better informed that you are, you know and you understand what you can and can't do. And y'all, y'all know every time you hear us do one of these shows, we always talk about what's real, right? Sure. You can try and do the Deb thing if you want with the popo, but you no, know what's going to happen. No, let's not try the Deb They're going to snatch your ass out the car, don't do, slam don't, you on the ground, you don't get shot. beat the shit out of you, <laughs> and then write the police report up and charge you with aggravated assault. And, and depending on the space that Miss Rainey's in, she ain't going to do the Deb thing because I'm going to stop her from doing the Deb thing. I'm going to roll the window up <laughs> while she's talking. We, Renee and I were driving home, my foster family and my sister are in Pittsburgh. I was flying past the Blue Mountains, which is the last set of mountains to get into Pittsburgh. Flying. I saw the officers, and it's customary when I was in law enforcement, when I was passing other officers, I would slow down or hit my lights on top to acknowledge them. But because my car said U.S., I just kept going, fuck you, because you're local. In this instance, I ain't had no lights and siren. I was in my POV, my personal automobile. I was probably hitting around about 88 when I rolled past them, so I tried to wow. slow down. I tried. I knew I didn't. I knew they probably clocked me at 87, so I pulled right over as soon as I could bring the car to a slow, slow it down and pull over. The officer pulls up on us, the Pennsylvania State Police officer, older white guy. I had the license, registration, and insurance already ready. He went to the passenger side where Renee was sitting. I rolled, Renee rolled down the window. I said, you know what? I am so sorry. I know it's disrespectful to fly past you doing that fast. I apologize. He said, well, how fast were you going? I said, 88. He said, I only clocked you at 82. Renee looked at me. I looked at me. I said, okay. He said, sit right here. I'll be right back. He was so nice. And I, guess, I think he was so floored by my being honest. He gave me a ticket for only 70 miles an hour because anything over 80 in Pennsylvania can be construed as reckless driving. And this is a hypothetical situation? No, that ain't hypothetical, y'all. That's really happened. That really, <laughs> really, really happened. I'm saying that I don't want folks to go around thinking that when they encounter the police, the police are going to be all about trampling on their rights and not treating them right. I'm saying be prepared for that situation so if, God forbid, it does happen, you know the difference between a mere encounter. You know when a mere encounter triggers reasonable suspicion, when reasonable suspicion it triggers probable cause. And let me say this to you. Generally speaking, an officer may not place you under arrest unless he has probable cause to believe that a crime was committed. In Pennsylvania, if a felony crime is committed in the officer's presence, he can arrest you. If it was not committed in his presence and or a misdemeanor crime is involved and it's not committed right there in the officer's presence, they need to get an arrest warrant to arrest you. Somebody got sirens playing. <laughs> I know I talked about a lot and covered a lot. I thought that um, topic, that black prophet, was very interesting, and I thought it could make for some interesting dialogue. I hope that folks out there who were listening understood. And if you have questions, please email me. And like I always tell you, put in your browser for your state, your jurisdiction. What is probable cause? You get some, um, when I put it in for um, GP tonight, uh, Wikipedia popped up with, I'm sure, some law students who created the Wikipedia page with the legal terminology. And even even esteemed justices can't define legally what probable cause is. For our purposes, everyday people understand if the officer can point to something specific that leads him to believe you're doing something wrong, he has probable cause to arrest you. If the officer can point to something specific and articulate it, that he thinks you have some illegal shit on you, he can search you. 
and then arrest you based on what he finds. So there's a whole lot of, um, what the hell is I going to say? A whole lot of bullshit. You say when when, <laughs> when y'all get quiet like this, it gets me uh, it gets me off off track. That they what? use to to justify. The things that they do. And understand, those of you that heard me ranting tonight, I am not, and I'm going to say it 150 times, I am not anti-police. I think what the police do is admirable, and I respect them. But damn it, if you're one of them officers out there abusing your badge and your gun, I'm coming for you. One way or another, me and others like me that care are coming for you. Do the right thing. Mere present, mere encounter. What's next? Reasonable suspicion. What's uh, the highest, Renee? It's not probably cause. Oh my gosh, she's looking at me. She, they're going to come take her master's and her PhD back. <laughs> it's it's almost time to go. I That's tried my to look. I'm out. I was in the corner. <laughs> Don't forget, check out Brown ShopRite is having a information <laughs> session. They're going to start accepting applications for jobs beginning April 28th. Their hiring center will be open May 13th. You can p- apply online. Go to shoprite.com. If you show up at their hiring center, which is open 9 to 4, Monday through Saturday, beginning April 28th, bring two forms of ID, valid forms of ID, and be prepared to fill out the I-9, which is the work authorization. And all of that is on our Facebook page and our <coughs> Twitter page. At this time in the show, we always turn it over to Sister Black. Sister Black, go. Indeed. Why do we try to find ways to justify what police do? In this day and age, they do what they please to. This won't be a piece to appease you or get you to believe that it's all about protecting and serving, but rather alert you to the absurdness that's swerving through precincts like whirlwinds, a cause to cause the extinction of urban, a probable cause, probably because they feel above human and believe we should either bow or salute them. But after, after all, they keep us safe, right? And all of us are really safe. <laughs> Right. Or probably because political pressures trickle down lines and land on badges and badges wreak havoc to meet quotas and quotas are calculated into statistics and statistics stand defendant to ill intentions and police brutality and probable causes probably (laughs) cause probably because I'm dark or probably because it's dark and they mistook the hood on my sweatshirt for a noose. Deal with it. It's the ugly truth. Whether you did it or not, you are guilty if chosen. Injustice within justice, my probable cause for this poem. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. Next time you're walking down the street and you see a police officer, greet that police officer. Let that police officer know I respect you and I appreciate you, but I'm watching you because I know my rights. I listen to For the People Law and Plain Language, and I'm not going to let you turn a mere encounter into reasonable suspicion or probable probable cause. cause. Thank y'all for listening. Say bye, fam. See ya. Good night. Information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. 
No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue.